0: Well, I hope that Easter was an amazing time for you, a refreshing time, a time of celebration and focusing on the things of the Lord. It was great to see so many of our people at the film on the Apostle Paul. Hands up those of you that went to the film about the Apostle Paul. That's a pretty good outcome. I think the theatre held 140 people and I'd say half of them were probably from our church. Today, I want to tell you three stories where the outcome of the story was different to what we expected at the beginning. First of all, I want to take up Paul's story from uh, what we saw in the film on the Apostle Paul last Sunday. And if you look at the screen, there is a picture of Mamertine Prison in Rome. And this is where the apostle Paul was imprisoned as an elderly man. This was where he was immediately before he was beheaded. And this prison was known as the worst prison in the world. You can still go to Rome today and you can visit it. But it was a dungeon and the only way into it was through a trapdoor. And you can see the trapdoor there. They had opened that. They'd put a rope underneath your arms and they would lower you down into this prison. So it was impossible to escape. It was dark. It was damp. There were stories that rats had eaten people in that prison. And so here's the Apostle Paul in that horrific place. In Rome at that time was Emperor Nero and Emperor Nero hated Christians and there was a fire in Rome and Nero blamed the Christians for lighting the fire even though there was no evidence of that being the truth and in fact people think that Nero started the fire himself and he used to get Christians and coat them in tar and set them alight as streetlights in Rome at that time. That's how difficult the times were. Some people say the origin of the word Roman candles came from those Christians that were set on fire in Rome. Isn't it amazing that Paul, the greatest of the Apostles, a guy who had an incredible anointing on his life ended his life living in a place like that. We visited Malta, and Malta was where Paul was shipwrecked. And throughout the island of Malta, there's um, there's churches. You know, the Church of Saint Paul of the wreck of the shipwreck, and they still remember his visit to that island today because when he was on the island, he was a prisoner on his way to Rome when he was shipwrecked. He was lighting a fire on the beach and he got bitten by a snake. And everyone looked at him and said, oh, this guy must be a, a prisoner, you know, a bad man because look, this snake has bitten him. But instead of dying, Paul survived. Paul survived. And then they brought all the sick on the island, and Paul prayed for them, and they were healed. But isn't it amazing that a guy with such an incredible history, the greatest of all the apostles, is now in a prison like that? Why couldn't God have worked it so he had some comfortable villa on the Mediterranean Sea where he could complete his writings? And if you read 2 Timothy chapter 4, that second letter to Timothy, Paul pours out his heart about his life and what's going on. And in that letter, he talks about how he's feeling. And in verse 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. He knew it wasn't long before he died. And in Philippians 1 verse 23, My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. It's interesting what he talks about in that last chapter. He mentions two people that had done him harm. Demas who had left him. Alexander the coppersmith who said nasty things about him and betrayed him. But he also asks Timothy to go up to Troas and get his cloak and bring it to him because winter was coming. And it was going to be very, very cold in prison. So we've got a map up there. And in that map, you can see uh, Italy and Ephesus and Troas. And so that letter would have been posted. And it would have gone all the way from, um, from Rome, which is on the west coast of Italy. It would have gone down around Greece over to Ephesus in Turkey or Asia, and then Timothy would have got the letter and he would have to go up the coast to Troas to get the cloak and then go all the way back to Rome. That seems a bit bizarre to me, doesn't it? I mean, why couldn't someone in Rome lend him a coat or give give him a blanket, for goodness sake? But Paul... Obviously, really wanted to see Timothy. He also wanted to see John Mark. The only person who was with him at that time was Luke. And people say that Luke actually went down into the prison with him. And another thing that he mentions in that end of the letter is he says, bring my parchments. Now, in those days, the whole Bible hadn't been written, but there were parchments of the Old Testament. And there were probably writings describing what Jesus had done while he was on earth as well. But he could also have been asked for blank parchments because Luke wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And so here in that prison cell... Paul is dictating to Luke all his journeys and all that happened in the Acts of the Apostles and now we have the benefit of that amazing book. So we, we think, well, why didn't God answer Paul's prayers? Surely Paul didn't want to be in such a terrible place. Surely God could have made his circumstances better. And we've all got little stories that we can tell tell about God's intervention in our lives. I remember a few years ago we'd been invited to go back to Brunei, take their Easter services in Bandar, the capital city. And after that we were to go to Kuching to speak at a um, a conference for the Indigenous Church of Kuching, and Helen and I and our t- and two of our children, our two youngest children, we're driving from Toronga to Auckland Airport, and we're going um, sort of towards the Bombays, and suddenly the cars in front of us braked, stopped suddenly. Some car was going to turn right, and he'd hit hit his brakes, and everyone behind had to brake suddenly. And so I hit my brakes, and I'm skidding along the road straight towards this car in front of me. And, I, and I'm bracing myself for impact. There's no way we can not hit that car when suddenly my car's going like this, and it goes out like that, and then it went forward in the oncoming traffic lane. I mean, we could have had a head-on collision. But as soon as that happened, the car, the truck that was behind me went into the gap that I would have been in and hit the bumper of the car in front. And I'm thinking, boy, if, if that miraculous intervention where somehow my car went sideways and then forward, I didn't turn the steering wheel, it just, the wheels had locked up and I'm out. And, and, I, and we thought, wow, thanks God, you've helped us. We're supposed to go on this mission trip If that hadn't happened, we'd have had a dinged up car and we could have been badly injured. And so we see God's intervention in our lives in different ways. The second story I want to tell you is about Judas who betrayed Jesus. Now, have you ever considered that maybe Judas thought that he was doing the right thing? You see, there'd been 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And during that 400 years, there had been no prophetic words to the Jewish people. And suddenly, Jesus arrives on the scene. And he's obviously a great teacher. He's able to do amazing miracles. And so Judas recognized Jesus for who he was. And when he was picked to be one of his special team, Judas thought, wow, this is amazing. But you know, at that time, everyone thought that Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans. That there would be a revolution. And Jesus would use his powers to rally the people and kick the Romans out of Israel. And he would become the new king. And so here's Judas, and he's probably thinking, well, hang on, Jesus. When's all this going to happen? Why is it going to take so long? And he's thinking, well, maybe if I was to introduce Jesus to the chief priest, that could make things start to happen. And so the Last Supper, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas would have thought, yeah, that's me. He knows what I'm thinking. And then Jesus said to him, go and do what you've got to do. And he's thinking, oh, wow. Even Jesus agrees with my plan. And so he goes out and he sees the high priest And then they came, and they arrested Jesus. But Jesus didn't protest or put up a fight. He didn't even struggle. And then they started to beat him. They mocked him. Then they led him off to be crucified. And a blackness and a despair came over Judas. And he realized that he was responsible for the coming death of the Messiah. Jesus had told him to go and do what he had to do. But his will wasn't God's will. In fact, never once had he asked Jesus what his plans were. Now his plans and the plans of all Israel were destroyed. Why hadn't he discussed his plans with Jesus and the disciples? Have you ever crusaded for a cause only to find that you got it completely wrong, that you pushed for what you believed was happening wasn't actually what you thought it was. I uh, went into my study a few years ago and I'd left a soup bowl on my desk and it was crawling with ants. And so I picked it up, took it down to the kitchen, came back and here's all those ants foraging over my desk so I got some ant poison and I tipped the ant poison on the desk on their trail and the next minute they're swarming all over this poison there's a whole ring of ants all around my little lake of poison they're so desperate to drink this poison that they're climbing over each other some of them actually drowned in the poison And then they went off back down their trail, rubbing noses with their mates, telling them about this amazing food that they'd found. Little did they know that they were wiping out their colony. If there'd been one ant that had encountered that poison before and knew what was happening, he could have saved the whole colony. Have you saved a person's life through warning them of impending danger? These three stories are about things happening differently to what we would have expected or desired. And in Matthew 7, verses 21 and 23, it says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Now, that sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it say in Matthew 10 verse 30 that the hairs on your head are numbered? God knows how many hairs you have. And then in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, it tells us how that God knew us even before we were formed in our mother's womb. Well, hang on a minute. You didn't know us. Why are you saying that you didn't? God knows all the details about us. But he wants a two-way relationship with each one of us. He wants us to talk to him, to share with him, to be open and transparent with him. And in Exodus, in Revelation 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now that was written to Christians. That was written to believers. And Jesus is saying, you've locked me out. I want to come in and have a relationship. I want to talk to you. I want to know what's going on in your lives. Paul tells us that there are three things that we can do that will keep us in an intimate relationship with God. And these three things are found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16-18, where it says, Rejoice always, pray without stopping, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. So let's look at those three purposeful actions that we can take to make sure that we do have a relationship with God. First of all, we're to choose to be joyful, despite the pain and the difficulty that we are going through. Now here's Paul, he's in the dungeon, he wants his manuscripts, his parchments, because he It says the one thing that does away with fear is faith. And so he can read the books of the Old Testament. He can read the stories of Moses, of Joseph, of Elijah. And his faith can be strengthened. And so we also have got to choose to be joyful. And we've got to look beyond our circumstances. The second thing is where to pray continually. Now you're thinking, well, how do I do that? It means you have a heart open to God. You have an attitude of submission and connection to God. You don't want to offend the Holy Spirit. You don't want to do those things that would break your relationship with Him. Things like self-will or rebellion, wrong behavior, greed and pride, they all remove us from that prideful attitude. We want to be in this relationship. We love God. We want to please Him. We don't want to do those things that will upset Him. And so we train ourselves... To recognize his voice. And sometimes he says to us, don't say that. Or he says, stop what you're doing right now. Don't do that anymore. Or refocus your mind. You're going down a bad track. You don't want to be thinking like that. Come back to safety and security in me. And if we obey, we stay in that zone of the peace of God. But if we rebel and go our own way, the sense of his presence and peace ebbs away. And the more that we live in his presence, the more we treasure his presence. When our harmful words or actions grieve the Holy Spirit, we feel his peace evaporate. From our lives, we feel lonely, and we want that relationship with God restored. After Easterfest, the pastors and some of their wives met with Martin Steele on the Monday morning for morning tea, and Martin Steele was the main speaker at the Monday night meeting, the last meeting of Easterfest. And one of the pastors' wives asked Martin and Ros Steele this question. She said, for a person who is beginning in ministry, what is the most important thing that I can do? And Ros Steele said, keep the well clean. Don't allow anything to block your relationship with God. Streams of living water flow up through us. Don't block it out by rebellion. Don't block it out by unforgiveness. Don't do anything that are are, are going to interrupt that flow. Because without that flow, you can't minister. If you're in ministry, you can only minister out of overflow. And if you're blocked up, need to remove the blockage you need to be replenished you need to put yourself in a place where streams of living water are flowing in you and through you and then the third thing choose to be thankful you know as we go through life it's very easy to feel sorry for ourselves self-pity opens the door to doubt fear Anxiety and despair. Where we only see things from a worldly perspective. As we maintain a thankful acceptance of God's amazing provision for us. His presence will flood and fill our temple with God's glory and his light. It's very often a struggle to keep ourselves living In the fullness of God's presence, it's even more difficult to do this collectively as a community, as a body of believers. We will always be tested in our relationships. Even Paul had hard feelings towards Demas and Alexander. You know, Scripture gives us different models of how we should assemble as believers. There's a story in Acts about how Paul was preaching one night and he preached for so long that there was a guy in an upstairs window who fell asleep and he fell out the window and he died. And so Paul raced downstairs, brought him back to life again and then continued to preach. Okay, no sleeping in my services for There's another model in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. And it says, When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of church. Some of you may be from a brethren background, and a lot of... People in the early Brethren churches, whenever uh, they met on a Sunday morning, they would break bread and then they would sort of have this open service where you might request a song, um, someone might bring a reading, someone might open the scriptures. And um, my dad was an evangelist. And in Nelson, there was a, a, a musical team called the Tasman team and at Christmas time they used to go around all the camping grounds Terry Beach Tahuna Beach and uh, and they would set up and they'd play Christian songs and people from the camp would gather and sit and listen to these songs and then my dad would come up from Dunedin with our family and we'd stay in a apple pickers house and he would Give an evangelistic, evangelical message. But while we were there, we would go to the Tasman Gospel Hall. And it was interesting just to see different people operate. But that sort of service is quite easily hijacked, it's very easy for one person to dominate. And because as Christians we show love, you can't really wrap, okay, time for someone else to do something. And so it's very easy to sort of establish a routine where you're just doing the same thing every week rather than really being open to the presence and guidance of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Azusa Street Revival, They tried not to plan services in advance. They said, let's be open to what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in this service. But they found their main problem was people who wanted to preach or people that had too much to say. Now, the elders in our church have decided that once a term, we're going to have an open service we're a community we're a family it's important that we know what's going in on in the lives of each other and so each term the second sunday of each term we're going to start with worship we're going to have a communion time and then we're going to open the service up for people to share You may have something exciting that's happening in your life that you want to praise the Lord for. You might have something tragic happening in your life, and you want us as a community to know about it so that we can pray for you, so that we can uplift you. You may have a fresh idea or vision that you feel this church needs to consider. When we do this, we're gonna limit it, all right, people say, oh, you can't limit the Holy Spirit. We're gonna limit to two minutes per person. If you want to share, you've got two minutes. You come up, you sit on the front row, we give you a microphone, you share. And through that process, hopefully, we can grow as a family. We're gonna do it on trial, at first. If it works, we'll keep doing it. If it's a problem, then we don't need to continue it. But I I believe that if we've had a time of worship and there's a sense of God's presence in the house, and you prepare for that meeting, you say, Lord, is there something you want me to share that can encourage this family? I'm sure that this will be a special time and if it is a special time, we may end up doing it every second month. But, you know, we're, we're wanting fresh vision. We're wanting to grow. We're wanting to become more connected. In Acts chapter 1 and 2, 120 believers sought the Lord together in that upper room at Pentecost. And the Spirit of God came upon them. Galatians 5 verses 25 and 26. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This verse describes how we need to make an effort to journey together in unity. A few years ago, I uh, went to an optometrist and I was told that both my eyes were quite weak but one was quite a bit weaker than the other and that I could put contact lens in and it would solve the problem. And suddenly, I I found that my tennis game improved, that when you have it do an overhead smash in tennis, your focal point is where your two eyes meet. And so when there's a ball coming down and I've got to line it up and I've got to bash it down over the net and bounce it in the court on the other side, I only need to be out by about three inches. And instead of going where it's supposed to go, it could be quite dangerous for the person I'm playing against. And I found that that one little change brought a massive change to aspects of my life and my vision. The fact is we all have blind spots and life is a continuous learning journey. Do we lovingly endure something that's out of order or do we seek to bring about correction? Do we have the wisdom discernment sensitivity and maturity to do this in the lives of other people so let's be open to grow together in the lord to clearly discern and obey what the holy spirit is saying to us as a congregation to move confidently forward with vision and purpose as the lord guides us let's pray Father God, we are a family. Sometimes we may feel as though we're a dysfunctional family. Sometimes we may feel that we're an absentee father. Lord, we want to know each other better. We want to build relationship with each other, to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to be connected. Lord, we acknowledge that sometimes we get it wrong. But Lord, I pray that you will help us as we move forward as a family to grow in unity and purpose and to see you do a special work amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.